Acts chapter 5, here we go. Uh, Acts chapter 1, summary, uh, God has a thing. God has a thing, and it's a to the ends of the earth thing. Acts chapter 2, he has empowered us to do his thing. He has empowered his people to be able to do his thing. Acts chapter 3, as we talked about, what's his thing? His thing is all about proclaiming the name of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, as we covered a couple weeks ago, we're to proclaim it in boldness and togetherness and in the fear of the Lord. That's the summary of so far our time in Acts. God has a thing. God has empowered his people to do his thing. His thing is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, and we're to do that with boldness, togetherness, and in the fear of the Lord. From here on out, Acts chapter 5 and following, I just want to let you know, it's all that being lived out. It's just that being lived out. It's God's people by God's power uh, proclaiming the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. And it's a glorious, glorious reality thing that we can be a part of. Let's be that. I mean, we want to be that, don't we? I mean, we really want to be that. So let's uh, dig into our text. But even before I'm playing with you, even before we get there, I got two things. Number one, I just reminders. I want to remind us that, uh, one, the Bible is all about God's self-revelation. The Bible is all about God's self-revelation. The Bible really is to take us to the vertical. It's about, tells us about how and why we were created. It tells us about what went wrong after creation, what God has done about the problem after creation. It tells us how God thinks. It tells us how God works with mankind. In other words, the Bible is all here. It's his self-revelation. It tells us who God is. So as we enter the scriptures, we are really entering for the purpose of, oh God, show us yourself increasingly more so. And as we increasingly see and understand more of who God is, your life changes. Hey, if you want to make changes in your life, get to know God more. See God bigger. That's the answer. That's the solution to it. And out of that happens. The Bible is all about God's self-revelation. Secondly, I just want to note, God's self-revelation shows us that he has had, uh, I'm going to call it, these unique relationship structures with mankind over history. A couple examples. Uh, God's relationship structure with Adam and Eve prior to sin coming into the place uh, was different than after, i.e., he walked in the Garden of Eden with them afterwards, separated. Uh, another example is uh, after the Ten Commandments. After we have the written, not just the Ten Commandments, but everything that comes out of the Mosaic law from that and the tabernacle and the priestly system that's there, I'm just going to tell you, the whole relationship has a uniqueness to it. Then when Christ comes, that's unique. And even the relationship structure has some uniquenesses after Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Spirit of God. That's important. God has unique relationship structures over time because at those times where these unique relationship structures take place, God does these, let's call them, do I have your attention moments. He really does. And a lot of times we don't, in reading the scriptures, understand that that is a pattern of God over these times. Like for instance, Adam and Eve, you sinned out of the garden. Do I have your attention? Uh, right? I mean, pretty radical, but that's the fact of the matter. After the Tower of Babel, hey, mankind, you think you want to be like God? Fine. I'm going to Rosetta Stone you. I mean, it just the whole language thing just takes place. Moses, Moses has 
a day, uh, let's call it a bad attitude, too big for my britches day. And instead of speaking to a stone to bring water out of it, that God had thought, he strikes it. And God says, my friend, I'm sorry, but you will no longer be allowed to enter the promised land. Do I have your attention? And in Acts chapter two, after Acts chapter two, we see God doing some things to let his church, to let his people know, do I have your attention? I'm showing myself to you. I'm self-revealing myself and oftentimes in some bam kind of a ways, okay? With that in mind, we jump into Acts chapter five because even though we touched on it last week, we're touching again onto this week into Acts chapter five. But watch this, some bam moments here. God is revealing himself. Acts chapter five, actually let's start in the first uh, or the last couple of verses of chapter four. Bible's open, ready to go? Okay, God reveal yourself. Verse 36, chapter four, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Hey, by the way, I just want for you to know, he didn't have to do this. There's nowhere that tells us that you have to go sell all your land and bring it, but he wanted to. Now look at chapter five, verse one, the first word, but. Uh, that means something just happened, and now this continues with that. But on the contrasting side of it, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. That's where the stories are related. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen, I just want to let you know, they weren't told they had to bring all of it and lay it. They could have brought part of it. But what's going on here? They're lying about it. It's Joseph did this. Uh, and yet now they're wanting to do this. Look at how religious I am, everybody. And I want to bring to our attention at the start of the church, Acts chapter 2, God does not want things running in this kind of direction. His people, his church is not about our glory. It's about his glory. And all of a sudden we see an example here of a couple who's playing the game. But Peter, verse three said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it uh, not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Bam. And great fear came upon all who have heard of it. And the young men rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, uh, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, we sold it for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Whoa. 
we talked last week, we read through this, and I made mention of how I think uh, when I talk about the fear of the Lord, there's two aspects. There's the uh, wow component, that God is so awesome, yeah. And then there is the oh my fear of the Lord reality. Oh my, he is God. This is the latter. And at the start of the church, out of Acts chapter 2, God shows himself in such a way that he's grabbing their attention. It's kind of like the, listen guys, everything is going so awesome. Thousands are coming to Christ. The church is just growing in Jerusalem. And then it's all of a sudden like, listen, don't get cocky. Keep your eyes on the Lord because that's what it's all about. This was just a perfect time for that. You know, every so often we need reminded of who God is, don't we? In fact, with that in mind, I want to take just, I usually don't do this a lot, but I want for you to go to Job chapter 38, a little bit left center in your Bible. And I just say this, this is reminding me of Isaiah and Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees the throne room of God and Isaiah in chapter 6, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Reminds me of John in Revelation chapter 1. John also, if you will, sees the throne room. He sees the ascended Lord there, and he says that he fell at his feet as though he was dead. This is the, oh my, I fear the Lord. Job, if you don't know the story of Job, Job is a very godly man. It's laid out so in chapter 1. Uh, he's under God's sovereign plan, and under that plan, God has allowed for him to go under incredible suffering all to be a living testimony of one who worships the Lord with their life for the purpose of Satan being able to see that literally Job is a living testimony under God's sovereign plan to be a living testimony to Satan himself and he doesn't know this and God allows these just these hell on earth to happen to Job Literally, because he allows Satan just to have Adam. I do not know how Job did not curse God earlier. But he goes through this time and his buds come along and many of them giving him bad counsel. And Job is going through this suffering and these hard times. And I just for a moment want to take a look at a couple of these here. Job chapter 38. Job basically gets and he's like, I just want to die. This is so undeserved. Job needs a remember who the Lord is moment. So in love, Job 38, verse one, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. From there, God just begins telling who he is, asking questions. Job, I have a question for you. Where were you when things were created? Job, who's the one who did this? Job, where were you? Job, can you? Job, is this you? Job, are you man enough to do this? Job, are you God? And then look all the way to chapter 40. After the Lord has a little bit of a talking to with Job, who's gone through this unbelievable suffering, and the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty now? He who argues with God, let him answer it now, Job. And Job answered the Lord and said, I curse you. No, look at this. Job, after all he's gone through and God giving him a talk, 
says this, behold, I am of a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man, my friend. I will question you and you make it known to me. In other words, I'm not done. I love you enough to help you understand that I'm bigger than even you can imagine right at this moment. Let's talk some more. And look, he just goes on. Will you do this? Will you have you? Behold, who did this? Can anyone? Can you? Can you? Uh, Who has? Who has? And he just goes through telling who God is reminding Job of the massiveness and the awesomeness of God. I just would think at this time, Job would still go, this is so undeserved. And yet look at beginning of chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, oh my, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Hey, Job, even in the hurt and the pain under a so- life under a sovereign God, needed a reminder as to who God is. And in that statement, it sets him back and is like, oh yeah, you're God, I'm not. And here with Ananias and Sapphira, back to Acts chapter 5, we find this reality of the church needing to be reminded of who God is. And so do we. We need to, point number one, increasingly get serious about who our Lord is. Question. Do you think the church in Acts 5 here saw God bigger before Ananias and Sapphira or after Ananias and Sapphira? After. How big is God to you? Seriously. How big is God in your life? God is as big as he is lived out and proclaimed in your life. It's very easy to say, God is big. But no, 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 wait, here's the reality. God is as big as he has lived out and proclaimed in your life. So with that in mind, how big is your God? Let me ask you this question. This last week, how big has God been in your life? God is God. And you and I are not. Maybe for you in your life right at this moment, you've been kind of going along where Jesus is my BFF or whatever that is. Or 
Jesus is my boyfriend or just Jesus is my palsy wowsy. May I remind us that he created all things, Colossians chapter one. May I remind us that he is the one that at his name, when he comes back, the entire universe will bow at his name. May I remind us he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I just want to use this moment to call us all to man up and step up and ask the question seriously, how big is God to you? I need to increasingly get serious about my Lord. Secondly, I need to increasingly get cranked up about what my Lord is doing. I just got to tell you, I am so glad the text does not stop there because it's the kind of thing that's like, (laughs) really? That's it? Watch this. I love this. Now, many signs and wonders, verse 12 were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. It was like we just had a get serious moment, but now we have the, the from the oh my to the God is awesome moment, okay? This is the time to get cranked up. Uh, here we have signs and wonders are being done regularly. I mean, how encouraging would that be? How reassuring would that be? How empowering that, that God is at work among and through us. God is showing himself. By the way, this is not a, a, like a, a wow the crowds with miracles showcase tent revival. This isn't what's happening here. Not all the believers, by the way, are going around doing hocus pocus miracles. Do you see the text? Who's doing these miracles? The apostles. But God as he so often does in the beginning of movement structures regarding him, shows himself big, awesome. It's the, oh my, wow. Look at this. Now, now many signs were done regularly among the hands of the, uh, by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. One more time, together. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. That's cool. These people were, were regarded, high regard, high esteemed. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord. Now, we've already seen in Acts so far that there are times where there are thousands that are coming to Christ. And this is more than ever. I don't know how many there are now, but there are probably by this time tens of thousands of people because the last time we had the numeric, it was 5,000 men. And now more than ever, people are coming to Christ. Listen, healthy things grow. Oh, wait, wait, let me, let me rephrase that. Healthy things multiply. And so often we get satisfied with a little bit of tiny growth. But here we see this is multiplying. More than ever believers are being added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, verse 15, so that they even 
this is kind of the other end of the parentheses at the beginning of verse 12, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them, and the people should also be gathered together from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who afflicted the unclean spirit, and they were all healed. God is showing himself big, isn't he? I have a question out of this. How was it that Peter just did not get cocky and arrogant? I mean, here he is walking around. It's like a shadow falls on people and poof. They're like up and woo. This is awesome. Uh, Can I just remind us? I think Peter didn't get all cocky and arrogant, not only because of the things he's learned over time, but because of Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 and Ananias and Sapphira. And in all of this, I think Peter has a high esteem of God and all that's taking place. More than ever, they are proclaiming the name and multiplying. Hey, listen, God wants to show himself. God wants to self-reveal himself. We see that in Acts chapter 5. Listen, you want to know who God is? Understand Ananias and Sapphira. And that tells you a whole lot about who God is. You also want to know how, who God is? Continue reading the text. God is awesome. And he is showing himself. I just want to let you know, God desires to reveal himself. And I don't know, maybe you have this idea that God is in often some far off star and got everything started and now he's not engaged with what's happening and he's just distant. But I want to let you know, listen, God wants to reveal himself and the Bible is all about his self-revelation. So church, take a look at who God is and let's get serious about him and also let's get cranked up about him. Cranked up crazy. He is God. Bam. Love it. Love it. Well, here in the beginning of the church, God's showing himself and the result is God's people are increasingly getting serious as I've termed it, face to the ground, oh my. And they're increasingly getting cranked up. Hands to the air, eyes to the sky, God is awesome. And third, uh, increasingly dissed. I'm just going to apply it to us this way. I, we need to increasingly get dissed for the name of the Lord. What? Do you have that stated correctly? Yeah, let's look at the text. Chapter 5, verse 17, but... In light of this awesomeness and everything that's going on and all this healing and these people, multitudes coming to Christ, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. How sad is that? Filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles, put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Listen, you cannot shut God up. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. How bold, how empowered. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the Senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have the guys, in essence, the apostles brought in. But when the officers came, they, they, did, they, they, uh, mm, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. Can you imagine coming before the big dudes? 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me, sirs. Um, let me give you some good news. Uh, we found the prison securely locked. Isn't that good news? That's what prisons are supposed to be, right? Locked. We found it locked. And the guard's standing at the doors. Yeah. Check, check. The guards are at the doors and the place is locked, guys. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but, uh, but when we opened them, problem, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed by them, wondering, uh, I love this. What's, what could come of this? And someone came and told them, look. Oh, this is so in their face. Look, the men whom you put in prison, you know, the prison that's locked and has the guards standing at the doors. Uh, they're not there. In fact, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Listen, they missed the fear of God. This was a perfect moment for them in God desiring to reveal himself and God's desire for self-revelation. This could have been the time that they could have been like, who can make that happen? But not for them. They're more scared of the people. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. How'd you guys do that? <laughs> I just, that's what I would ask. And the high priest questioned them saying, uh, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. That's chapter four, verse 18. We covered that. Yet, I hear you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I want to tell you, that gives you a real insight into what's going on. You have filled Jerusalem with the teaching. God is at work multiplying. And do you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? By the way, that's the big theology error. To them, they were in essence understanding that Jesus is just a guy. Wrong. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Wow, look at the boldness. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Uh, can I say that just like a short time ago, they stood before them and said the same thing. And now they're saying it again. They're not backing down. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, verse 30, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader, as founder and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged. I have written in my Bible, unglued. I mean, here they are hearing this, and uh, these are the men, and, and, and they hear it, and they are unglued, and they want to kill them. Uh, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And so he said to them, in other words, he's speaking to the, uh, to the party of the Sadducees, He's speaking to them. He says, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Amen, bro. 
For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 drop in the bucket, my friend, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. True. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. True. God is unstoppable. You might even be found opposing God. Um, you already are. So they took his advice. Good for them. And when they had called in the apostles, they what? Please understand that. In fact, underline it. Because oftentimes this text has kind of looked like they just let them go. No, no, no. They beat them. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, stunning. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Hey, uh, how often, I've been just so convicted by this this week, how often do we come home and at times when we talk with our family or with our friends, it was a bad day. I got dissed for my faith. Can I remind us of Acts chapter five, verse 41? They rejoiced and they got beat. We don't have that. In fact, the reason I put dissed was because that's more the reality, I think, of what we experience in our culture. We don't get beat. But dissed, probably so. How often do we have the idea that when we come home, or when we talk with our friends, or when we come in small group, how was the week? It was awesome. I got dissed again and again and again for the name of Christ. Not because I was rude, not, not because I, I didn't handle it well, but literally because I stood for who Christ was and I got dissed. I count it worthy. I count it an honor. I count it a pleasure. But yet, isn't it true? We run from that, don't we? Oh, please, don't, don't diss me. Don't think bad of me at the restaurant if I pray. Don't think bad of me in public if I talk about Christ. Oh, please don't, because I, now we're coming back to the leaders of the day. They were jealous and they feared what the people would do to them. Well, friends, I just read this and I'm going, oh, may that not be us. May we be the kind of people at work, at home. As you coach kids, as you teach kids, as you're involved with children, as you're involved in public life, may the fact of being a follower of Christ be on our lips. May it show. Why? Because when God is big, you can't shut up. 
And part of the reason I'm just going to say straight out for me is that I don't open up is because of the fear of man. Isn't it true? What are they going to think? Oh, what a small view of God that is. This text just calls us out to be a people like, let's be that. Let's be people that see God big. He is God. And in the same breath, let's be people who see our God and go, he is God. Boom. Look what he's doing among us. And in the same of it all, let's be people who are willing to get dissed for the name of Christ. Come together and rejoice in that and pray that God would give us increasing boldness to be that. I need to increasingly get serious about who my Lord is. I need to increasingly get cranked up about what my Lord is doing. I need to increasingly get dissed for the name of my Lord. And fourth and last, I need to increasingly get speaking that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 42, and every day, how how many days? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Every day. You know, the billboard story of the church at this time is a, is a people that's empowered in proclaiming the name. Every day, if you will, in our context, they're doing it at church with their church family, and they're doing it from house to house, proclaiming the name. Let me put these together. As I grow in a bigger understanding of who God is, I get more cranked up about who the Lord is. As you come to see how awesome God is, how powerful and mighty he is, you get more cranked up about who he is. And I just want to say this, if right now you're at a place in your life and it's just like, honestly, I'm just vanilla right now with God. God's just kind of like so not impressing me right now. I would ask this, go to his word. Go to his word. Go read the beginning of Job and the end of Job and see how God not only used Job in sovereign ways that he didn't even know about, but God had to remind him of who he was to help him. Go and read the Gospel of John that we just covered through a while again ago and be reminded of how awesome God is. Go read Revelation and be reminded how awesome God is. And maybe part of the reason that you're lacking in the lust for the Lord right now is because you've actually lost sight of who he is. People that see God big are cranked up about him. And by the way, when we're cranked up about him, we speak about him. And when we speak about him in a world that we live in, you're going to get dissed. That's okay. That's okay. We're in this together. It's okay to be dissed. In fact, consider it an honor and a pleasure. 
Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. That, oh, that I might suffer to be able to know my Christ better. Speak the name. Speak the name. Lord, I want to just thank you for people who've gone before us. Here in the early time of the church and in, in this unique moment in redemptive history, you are doing things with these people, your church in Jerusalem there. You're doing things with them and you're doing things before them to, to help them know you better and to help them see you better. Lord God, I, I pray that we would be the kind of people that uh, are serious about you. I read a text like this and then I think of some of the songs that we sing today and some of the teaching that's given today here in America and I just sit back and I go, oh my word, we're missing the fact that you are God on the throne of all and we should be like Isaiah and John and here with the people in Acts chapter five, in essence, our hearts to the floor on our knees before a holy, awesome God. Oh, Father, if there's folks who are struggling to really see who you are, I just pray, may, may they just ask for help. May they get into your word and see who you are because you want to reveal who you are. You've come in the flesh. You've revealed yourself over thousands of years of history and recorded it down for us. And even in the past weeks, we've been seeing stories of just what you've been doing in people's lives here. Oh God, may we get serious. And oh God, may it just also within us, just crank us up, just juice us up in our hearts to yearn and long and lust for you. Father, right now, maybe there's someone who's just really discouraged because maybe at work or through family or friends, they're just, frankly, they've just been dissed. I just pray that this text would be of encouragement to them. You know what dissed is. And when we're dissed for the name of Christ, that brings you glory. May we be better rejoicers of being dissed for you. And Father, by nature, I'm a timid man. And I think in many ways we all are when it comes to proclaiming the name of Christ. And yet, Lord, I would pray we would be men and women, boys and girls here this morning that would step up our speaking of you just in day-to-day -day life and with people. And Lord, maybe right now there's been a person for a while who's just been on someone's heart to want to proclaim the name of Christ, just to engage in God talk with them. Oh God, give them boldness. May they just step out in faith. And it's like, I'm tired of being living under the fear of men. I want to start stepping out and living under the fear of my awesome and amazing God. I want to speak in love.
help those that you have sovereignly put around them to be able to know of Christ. Oh God, may we be that. Increasingly so. Christ's name.